sounds less bassy. Is that just me? Um, it could be. Hmm. Um, we've lost the bass. Gotta find it. I've lost the bass. I feel like I need to play this. Bring out your dead one. Ninepence. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. <laughs> oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go on the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. No, I've got to go to Robinson's. I've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. Oops. I think I'll go for a walk. You're not fooling anyone, you know. Look. Please know something you can do. I feel happy. I feel happy. Ah, oh, thanks very much. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. We're not dead yet, John. No, not yet. Well, the rumors of our death have been uh, exaggerated. It's been a while. I've, I've had people reaching out to me publicly and privately. Oh, really? Yes. Not me. I think you're more social than I am. Well, you, you disappear. You, I do no disappear. One, no one knows where you are anymore. I go on uh, milk cartons every so often. <laughs> <laughs> don't put it past me to just quit life in general. And not, I don't mean quit life. I mean, you know, like disappear into the woods somewhere one day. Oh, no, I, well, that's my fantasy. So. <laughs> <laughs> what, we did should, I do that? Or no, do that? <laughs> that's fair, fair question. Um, no, but we should have bets on who does it first. Yeah. Because that is definitely my fantasy. Yeah. I'm, done, I'm done with this world. Internet's ruined everything, John. Yeah, I'm done with tech. I just I just want to chop wood and light fires and I don't know. But I still want the modern conveniences <laughs> know, of like yes. flushing toilets, running water. Can I get prime delivery in the, in the middle of yeah, nowhere? Amazon. You know, it's our modern day of, of um, escaping it all is, is quite different, I think, than, than many people. Or maybe just a nice uncharted island that's got like plenty of resources does that exist still or have we discovered everything no all the billionaires bought those up damn it put houses on them well john how long has it been a couple months a month a couple months uh i think march was our last recording so april may no three months yeah wow yeah well you know life happens uh Vinicius Canids were causing trouble up in Oompa Land, so we had to go deal with that. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what Oompa, Oompa Loompa Land is, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, don't you remember? Uh, Wonka saved him from the Vermicious Canids. Oh. You know, and the, the Hornswogglers and, you know. It's almost as bad as Tolkien with all his yeah. made-up people. My youngest son and I are watching... Um, the Lord of the Rings movies, <clears throat> like the, the three original ones. Oh, cool. We're actually on the third one now. The Return of the King. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen those in forever. Well, I hadn't seen them. I think I saw them in Ohio, like on our little 27-inch tube TV. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I went to a theater for those. I didn't either. Yeah. So I'm watching them in our in our home theater, which is oh, cool. pretty decent. Yeah, um, yeah it's nice because you, you can get it in 4K now and good good audio and all that. So it's been fun. He loves it. Yeah, it's cool. But he's he's super into story. He's like a voracious reader. He loves fiction and stuff. So, well, let's see what all has happened, John. I don't even think we can catch up. It's impossible on all the stuff that's happened. Yeah, we almost have to just kind of 
soft reboot here. And like, I have such a bad memory. I'm just, my, my recency bias kind of rules my brain. So uh, Apple has new hardware. Although I have not, I still haven't watched the video. I watched, I, I watched the video on, on the, if we're talking about the new hardware, the, the Apple Vision Pro. So I didn't watch, I don't know anything about that other than it's $3,500. Mm-hmm. Wow. We're going to be. I mean, yeah. it's not even going to be out until next year sometime. That's insane, man. So it's, it's essentially a new product. I mean, it is a new product line, but it's, a, it's its own computer. It has apparently like two different types of chips in it. And of course, the display and everything else. It has a, if you, notice, if you do watch the video, you'll notice a wire going down people's backs. <laughs> and what that is, is the battery pack is actually external to it. Yeah. And so that links up to the battery pack or, okay. or to plug it in. You would so I, and again I didn't watch this I haven't really read anything about it. What is the application for this thing? Uh, because to, to Apple isolate doesn't... yourself from the rest of the world because <laughs> yeah. uh, it's very much a a solo product. I mean, once you're in it, you're pretty much ignoring everybody. I mean, they try to play it off as this kind of collaborative device. Um, they had they showed things like um, doing conference calls and things like that on it. And in my head, I'm going, well, you see them, but what do they see? And apparently what they see is the device scans your face, creates a 3D model of it, and that's what it shows on the video back. So it tracks all your movements. So this is for video conferencing? No, it's not for video conferencing. Okay. Just, that's just one of the scenarios. Okay. But it's it's actually kind of what I want from an augmented device. Um, it'll hook up to your machines. You can have a screen and basically use it as a, as a display if you wanted to. Okay. It has... Uh, it tracks gestures from your hands, so you can do things like navigate. Apparently, it has really great eye tracking, so all you have to do is look at what you want to select. And it pans little, over there. Do a little hand gesture, it. and it'll yeah. select it. Um, I don't know what what it's going to feel like using it for an extended period of time. From what I hear, the battery only gives you two hours. But you can plug it in and, of course, get longer. But yeah. um, I don't know what that experience is going to be like. But it... The technology, and at least from the video, looks incredible. I mean, it can completely isolate you from everything. So, does it have a? If you does it have a standalone? So, like, is it its own computer? It is its own computer. It's not. It's not like hooked up to another computer or to your phone or anything like that. It's its own device, standalone device. What do they call the OS? Vision OS. Vision OS. Yeah. Does it run? Is it uh, Apple Silicon? Yes. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. I still don't get it. I mean, Apple doesn't even have a good uh, game ecosystem. Are, are well, they they're gonna, trying to change that. They are. Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, well, they during the conference they did advertise a couple of games from uh, um, uh, Death Stranding was one of them that they were porting over to 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 be on Macs and things like that. So they're trying to get games or game companies to try to develop for for the architecture. So I just I feel like we've been on that road many times with Apple. Yeah. Like, I mean they've had. I mean, think of past WWDCs where they've had amazing game demos when they, every time they come out with like a new 3D technology or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Um, but they just don't have those AAA titles. I mean, people are that people going to port, you know, Call of Duty or whatever. I don't even know what the big games are over to Apple. It's a, yeah. it's a completely different API, right? I mean, on the Windows side, they're writing to direct. 3D or what is it nowadays? DirectX? I don't even know what it is. Yeah, I don't remember what it is. Anyway, that's the API that game game developers develop against. Yeah, and a lot of them have... You have to completely re-implement your game, your yeah. your engine and every, your platform to a different, completely different API because you can't... That doesn't run on... I mean, unless Apple... I don't know if they could. If, can they... Could they implement some... Um, 
what's it called? Uh, emulation or something from that? Well, most of them are using some kind of platform like Unity or Unreal. There, there are still some companies out there who have their own engine yeah. and they're coding to that. I don't know. Does, does the that... problem isn't necessarily porting the games over. It's okay. the... The, the kind of tricks that they do to gain performance out of it, you know, to try to try to kind of push that game to that next level. And that's really what AAA titles are really about is, is how much effort they put into the performance and the experience and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if it's just a straight, you know, jumping around platformer type stuff, I mean, a lot of that stuff I think is fairly simple to port over because they're just using, they're just using the normal APIs, but when they have to dig in and kind of start create, writing their own kind of, um, I'm going to say routines for lack of a better word, um, or algorithms in, into the engine or into the experience, then then it gets a little bit harder to kind of port that stuff. Yeah, I just think I think they have to get some of these a lot of games over to the platform. Now, if you combine this with here's my perception, and I again I haven't really read any analyses, so maybe I'm completely wrong about this. But when you look at the the performance of the Apple Silicon, mm-hmm. um, both in terms of just like you know speed but as well as like battery and um temp, you know thermals and everything compared to intel now my perception is it's way better than intel i mean well this, i mean it's a system on a chip so there's no there, there's no bus or anything it's i just, mean it's faster it's cooler it uses way less battery that's when the, that's what i noticed when i switched to apple silicon yeah okay and then when you combine that with the fact that like they have, you know, what, like 15 inch MacBook Airs now for like right around a thousand bucks. I mean, the price performance, I, I don't know if it, it'd have to be a real piece of shit PC to, to actually to beat that. So price performance wise, I feel like Apple's really getting more and more competitive. If they could get some people to write some, to, to bring some AAA game titles to the platform, then... I think that changes things in terms of, I mean, because Windows has just had complete dominance over the gaming world, right? Yeah. I mean, I just don't know if it's well, it's think, just, if that's just too pie just, in the sky to think that the Apple could do that. But Well, I don't necessarily think it's an Apple problem. I think it's just a market share problem. I mean, it's it costs money to port something over and to make sure it's working and supported and not buggy as hell. And they're, they're already, a lot of these companies are already doing windows and possibly a console version and a pc version or whatever and you know to add another thing to the list to, to port over to i think it just depends on the economics of it right and i think apple will have to probably help fund it well i think i think apple almost has the nintendo approach to it which is you know we have these we have this thing that can support a certain type of game like maybe not all of them are going to be Death Stranding level graphics and gameplay and, and immersion and type stuff, but they have an ecosystem for the arcade. They have an ecosystem for games. They have they have that. It's just not a, a lot of these big titles are porting over to it. Yeah, and I think that's just more of a f- function of market share and probably staffing. I mean, it is that's, that's not a different. Pro- probably a different skill set as well to support that. Or maybe the word to subsidize. I think Apple's going to have to subsidize some of this. Maybe to get the ball rolling there the, you have to get because it's it's a network effect thing and it's a chicken and the egg. It's all these metaphors. Right? You you have to get enough games on your platform in order to attract enough people to to buy 
hardware on the platform, you know, to buy hardware. And then once you have enough people that own the hardware, now you have a market for other game houses to bring their games to this new market. Such a competitive environment. I know. I know. I don't. I don't know that Apple is banking on being known for gaming. I think they just want to have the option. They have. They have hardware that can. They can do it, and they want to show that they can do it. But I don't know that they're ever going to going to capture that market. It's just not something they're going to do. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe if they there's been a rumored Apple um, game console. There's there's been rumors about that. Um, possibly Apple TV maybe growing to become more of a home entertainment device that supported gaming, which means it would be a much beefier hardware. Mm-hmm. And that potentially could be possible with M, with the M architecture, the Apple Silicon architecture. Um, so there's a potential for that in the future, which could attract them, you know, investing in that, maybe buying studios and having exclusive games and, and investing in that. But it's still very much a hobby to me for them. I think they're, they're still focused on these kind of new emerging technologies like like the vision and things like that that they want to focus on. Yeah. So I guess, I don't know. I just don't know what, I don't get what their plan is. I don't get the business case for this vision. I don't think they have a plan. I just think that they have this, this architecture and this, this amazing chip that can support it. And they, they want to try to see if they can attract developers to, to put their stuff on it. Hmm. But I don't know that, I don't know that they're actually going to, unless, unless maybe this is the beginning of that, you know, the beginning of that rumored, Apple console or Apple TV becoming that kind of home entertainment console type thing. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on the Apple WWDC news? What do you think of the uh, new MacBook Pro, uh, MacBook Airs? Was the 15 inch right? I didn't spend okay. too much time on that. That I made mean, a big splash. There's a lot of news I, I around th- that. I mean, it just brings these chips to to that market. I mean, it makes. I mean, you now have a 15 inch badass laptop for around the $1,000 mark yeah. that ha- that runs M that's an M2 processor. Yeah. That's, it's just making that, that technology killer, more accessible to more people. So it's, I don't, I don't know that it excited me cause it doesn't change. I mean, I have, I'm sitting here with two M1s right now. <laughs> not not so. me either. I'm just, I'm just thinking in general for Apple and, and also that's, yeah. I mean, and this computer is almost three years old now. Mine is, I think. And I just can't even imagine replacing it still just runs so well and it's great. Oh yeah. It feels it. Like new, I mean, there's, but like for, like for the, for our, you know, employee computers, like people who want Macs, like that 15 inch for people who want to, who want something bigger than the 13 inch. I mean, before that meant you were getting probably like a MacBook pro 16 yeah. and those are, I mean, you're looking well into the two thousands for those. And now we have a great option. That's well, they have pro 15s, but they're still expensive. And the, the errors are probably that's weird. Where, where, how do the Pro 15s fit in? I mean, are they older or what? What's the? No, this is a Pro 15. I thought, I thought it was ours 16. are 16. This is a 15. Or so the only 15. difference is it's just that looks like that's 13, John. That might be 13. I don't think they had 15. I don't think they have 15s, do they? I mean, that'd just be a weird. Yeah, this so, might be 13. Yeah, it's got to be 13. But yeah, so yeah, yeah, the 15 would would fit a fit a specific market and i i think the 16 inch is a much better screen it's just more real estate to work with yeah sure and if you're not traveling it's great if you're on airplanes all the time it's too big i mean even if you're traveling i mean it's i can barely open these on a flight man uh, like I'm, i got the screen I can't, you angled can't open anything me. but your phone yeah no you can do 13s i, I use third i'll use my wife's 13 on a flight or i'll mm-hmm. watch her you know she opens it just fine but it's this the 15 yeah or until someone 16, leans back and it's right in your face yeah. or in your gut yeah Anyway, I'm just saying the 13, if you travel a lot, the 13 might make a lot more sense. 
travel a lot, the Vision Pro makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Because you can just with you its, can isolate yourself from everybody. With its generous two hours of battery life. <laughs> yeah, well, you just plug it into the USB port. And, okay. I don't know. Power it that way. I don't yeah. know. Um, but I, I am hmm. intrigued by it. I don't, I'm not going to be a first adopter. It's just way too rich for my blood. And there's also rumors that the, well, the, pro- the price is too rich for my well, <laughs> it, I think the price is kind of gatekeeping. They want to, they want developers to build stuff for it yeah. to make it more affordable. Um, what's been commented as is the fact that they called it a pro out the gate. And so what that's led to is speculation that there's a, there's an Apple vision that may be a lower price point on the horizon. Mm. It may lack certain features or I'm not sure how they would get that price point. Um, or maybe this version of the v- pro as technology improves, becomes vision minus the pro yeah. moniker yeah. Um, to, to appeal to more larger audience. So there's, this is, I think this is definitely a price point that's gatekeeping for, for, for certain, you know, for those early adopters who want to con- kind of contribute and give feedback on what's working, what isn't and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. Either they know they can't make very many of them or they really don't want that many people to see them right now. Well, I don't think there's a lot to do on it just yet. I mean, you have, I mean, you, I think for the most part, you'll have access to most iPhone and iPad type type apps. And I'm not sure what the OS is going to support beyond that. But I think in terms of apps that have been targeted to it, I mean, this is this was a developer event, meaning we had this new OS for you to start building stuff on and targeting. So it's going to take a while for companies to to figure out what they want to build and what they want to support and whether or not they're going to. Right. But it's an interesting market. And I think for, for someone like me who. I mean, I do have a dedicated home office, but it's not necessarily a man cave. You know, I don't have like this big screen. I don't have this way to kind of, you know, just kind of isolate myself to a certain extent. Um, And I see some potential in that, you know, to be able to watch a movie and create a screen as big as I want. So I get that kind of theater experience. And um, even even when you're looking at it at the screen and based on the video, the background behind the screen can be changed. So you can pretend Mm. That you're out in the middle of nowhere on a lake watching this movie, you know, that's floating in the in the air type yeah. stuff. So it's it's intriguing. Um, it'll be interesting to see it. It's a cool firsthand. demo. I just, yeah. Um, there are concerns about the weight of it and things like that and how, you know, what the impact is of wearing it for extended period of times. But And like, does your head get all sweaty inside there? Well, the, so the, the mechanism that holds it to your face and all the fabric that's around it is similar to the, I think the iPad. The Air Max headphones, that kind of stretchy material that they have on that is similar to that. It's very breathable. So it's supposed to be breathable. Um, but it is made out of metal. So it, there is a certain weight to that. Of course, you have the, all the components and everything else in it and the screens, the multiple screens, the multiple camera sensors. All that's going to add up uh, in terms of weight. So I don't know what it's going to be like for someone wearing for extended period of time or if they're going to get the uh, kind of the vertigo effect, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the... No, you can't tell what's up and what's down or, yeah. yeah, but this is more of an augmented reality than it is a VR. So it's, yeah, there might be less of that since you can see around you. I mean, mm-hmm. it does kind of reproduce that in your vision um, to whatever extent you want. Yeah. So, hmm. but they, they also highlighted some OS stuff, but it, um, like the next version of, of iPad OS and uh, maybe app. Watch OS, but uh, the next Mac OS and things like that. I mean, it, it all Sonoma, Sonoma, Sonoma yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it all seemed just evolutionary. Nothing, you know, major about them. Um, there was some nice, 
I'm going to say nice because they focused on it. So that makes me say it's nice, but um, they're going to start putting widgets on the, on the home screen and some new screensavers type stuff. And, you know, just a little, little performance or um, productivity, sorry, productivity yeah. enhancements. I, uh, I was on, still on Monterey until this week. Um, I needed to access a SQL server database backup and I was like, Oh yeah, I've done this before. I'll just, um, Fire up SQL Server and a Docker, a Docker lightweight oh, image, can't. Docker lightweight container. Yeah, but um, so I now have the, a um, a platform, uh, yeah, a instruction set mismatch. Mm-hmm. Um, the SQL Server images are Intel based. They're yeah, they're x eighty six images. I guess they don't. I guess they don't make ARM images of SQL Server. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find one anyway. No. Um, but then uh, the internet told me, well, hey, I have to do is go into Docker and go into advanced settings or experimental and then enable, um, is it Ros- is Rosetta, to use Rosetta. And I go into Docker and I go to advanced settings and I don't have that option. I'm like, well, what the hell? And then finally, after searching around more and more and more, someone else had the problem. It's like, oh, yeah, you have to be on Ventura. And I'm still on, what was it called? Um, Monterey, Monterey, I guess. No, so you're really behind. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm I'm definitely a late a late adopter. Yeah, on on OS versions. I'm an early adopter, so I, I like to. But I, I don't know if this is good or bad. But you know, I upgraded, and I can't tell a difference at all. And first of all, the upgrade take it took like I don't know thirty or forty minutes, and then I just get a login screen to Ventura now. It's just it's I'm I'm spoiled by. I mean, how many how many of these have I been through? A dozen more. Just seamless OS upgrades. Oh yeah, I never even had a problem. I never had a problem on the switch to um, to Apple Silicon. I ne- I didn't have a big homebrew problem. A lot of people had like massive homebrew problems and everything. I mm. didn't have any of that. And I use well, you start well. I mean, were they trying to restore their? I mean, were they trying to restore from a backup of their old machine or something? Because I think I, you started from scratch, right? Uh, I don't remember. I think I did actually. Yeah. I think when I installed, maybe I that's, that's what it was. Why, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. When I when I switched to Apple Silicon, I did went from scratch, which was boy, that's a pain in the ass. It is, but you, I mean, it it is a pain, but you kind of start from a clean slate. I just have so much stuff that's hard to get, get set back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like easy. I mean, I remember I. I did a lot of work prepping for that. I went into like, I mean, a lot of apps are good and they use like the application, like if you go into application support in your library, mm-hmm. you know, you can just basically copy that apps folder. Yeah. But some apps, you know, you have to copy on the specific things and some apps keep their stuff in a different, you know, non-standard place. And I just had to, had to do all this stuff and then just getting my terminal set up and my, all my, I don't know, just stuff that like, there's no easy, there's no backup and restore for this stuff. And, and, there's no, you can't even, you can't even, it's not even like files you can copy. It's just, you have to manually set stuff back up. And I know some people have gotten really good at it. I mean, you, so I think, I think to be fair, you can probably automate and write scripts to do almost all this stuff, mm-hmm. but like I only do it once every 10 years. What? Yeah. I mean, what's the point of me even building that out? It takes some, it takes a lot of work to build something like that. And then you have to test it Yeah. to get all the bugs out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I've been meaning to, to, um, Post a a bug on um illuminated uh, can't say the word <laughs> illuminated cloud. It is a lot of syllables. It, it is. It, it's 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 a tongue twister if you're trying to say it too fast or if you've had a few. Um, but I found out that if you don't 
if you don't install the CLI and I guess authenticate or do something on the CLI that creates the .sfdx folder in your uh, in your on your hard drive. Mm-hmm. Um, when you load up Illuminated Cloud, it tries looking for that folder or something, and it just craps out. Mm, it just yeah. keeps polling, mm, looking for it, and, yeah. it, and it ends up just in a loop. Mm. And um, as soon as I was able to do something that forced the the SFDX folder to get created, um, it started working right up. But that's something that's such an edge case, I think, that you don't you wouldn't find normally. So I've been meaning to to put that put that in the bug tracker, but I haven't got around to it. Yeah, I mean it. If if that is a requirement, probably should either be in the installation instructions or I don't think should so. Be be- I should think be a better message it for it. It seems more like a regression. I mean, I don't think that I don't think that should be the case. Maybe so. Yeah, it, it probably is um, something that should it should handle better. Yeah. There, I've run across little small things where Scott's been like, "Yeah, it should handle that better," and I think he's put put bugs in. Or I but think I'll I've, tell you, I started out um, using Visual Studio Code for the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and. I gave up. I'm like, I can't really? do this. I cannot do this. I am so serious. I mean, even it's not fully aware of everything. So it doesn't give you a lot of um, uh, code hinting or what do we call it? I want to say IntelliSense, but that's a, it, it's a visual studio thing. Well, it is visual studio code. So I guess I can't call it IntelliSense. <laughs> it doesn't give you a lot of help there. It doesn't, there's so many things that I got so used to uh, in Illuminate cloud and IntelliJ by nature. Um, doing for me or surfacing up for me and things like that, that it's just made it really hard, difficult for me to adapt to visual studio code to the point where it's just, it just seems like such a downgrade Oops, in experience in, in terms of development for me. So I've, I've since kind of started moving back into until and eliminate cloud and IntelliJ on my, my work machine. But, you know, at the time I was trying to play nice and, Use the same ID as everyone else on the team, but I'm just like I can't do this. I'm not going to be productive. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm actually a little concerned that VS Code is going to take over the world, and the the no, it's it's got so many weird issues. That I ran into that issue that got posted in in Slack with the um, the problems. So whenever you have a failed deployment in Visual Studio Code, it lists that problem in in the problem window or console. Okay, and that drives your your editor so your editor will mm. will see that there's a problem know which line it is and highlight that for you and um because it's not my normal ide um i was noticing that once i fixed the issue and redeployed it's still the problem was still there and it was still highlighted and it was like am i out of sync is this not saving what's going on i closed the ide came back and everything looks fine <laughs> and um that led me to a blog on visual studio code or not a blog um a either a forum or some kind of ticketing system where people were asking for them for, for a clear all problems button on that window. And it's been going on for like two or three years, I think since 2017 or something that (laughs) they were not going to support this. And I guess what the issue is, is that those, those messages get surfaced up from the plugins and they don't want to reach into the plugins and clear those errors they the plugins are supposed to handle clearing their own errors or their mm. own problem statements. Yeah. So it's either an architectural issue or an ideology issue where they don't want to do that. So they've never had a clear problems button on that screen. I mean, IntelliJ does, um, and you're able to do that. Yeah. Um, but Visual Studio either can't or isn't going to. Mm. So I, th- I don't think the world is rosy in terms of Visual Studio code. I think it's just... I don't know, man. Like, every... 
It's I mean, free I was, and it's I was convenient. To, uh, um, who's who's the the kind of polymath, boring nerd guy that does um, podcast? Lex Friedman. Lex mm-hmm. Friedman. Uh, he had on Chris uh, Latner, I think his name is. Who this guy? I mean, he wrote. He he like created or helped create LLVM. He created the Swift programming language. He done all kinds of stuff, and now he's creating. I forget what it's called now, but it's basically an improvement on Python. It's actually backwards compatible with Python, but. Hmm. I don't know. It's got some benefits. I think something something to do with typing and can run way faster and whatever. Um, but he does all his and he's doing like hardcore. I mean, he's doing everything. You know, there's like assembly and C and Python and all kinds of stuff involved in this project, and it's a massive thing. And he's doing VS Code for everything. Yeah, and I'm sure he's. He, it's it, how do I say this without sounding weird? Um, he sounds like an older school programmer who's used to just using text editors. Who's fine? He's fine. I mean, he without, created the Swift programming language. I know, right? but I mean, he's probably doing that low-level stuff. He's not going to have. I don't. I don't know. Those. Those. He's forty. He's younger than me. Well, I don't know. I just. <laughs> there's just so many nice things about a modern IDE that just is so much nicer for productivity. Maybe that makes me a bad programmer. Maybe I rely too much on hitting dot space enter or whatever um, to prefill a bunch of stuff. No, there's just when you have an actual IDE that. Instead of just looking for patterns in text, actually understands the text and well, the language and everything. That, that's a lot different. Man. Actually, I, I, I have a better, I have a better argument to make, and it just dawned on me. It's not so much the language. Um, Visual Studio Code is fine for language stuff. It understands it well. It it helps you out well enough. It it does well at that. I think where, for me, where things fall apart is Salesforce, is having Salesforce context within the IDE. And that, that's, of course, a problem of the, of the plugin, yeah. you know, and how, and how well it handles that. But Illuminate Cloud handles that so well that it makes it non-trivial for me to do that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's what I was struggling with. I wasn't struggling with my for loops or my creating a function or anything like that. I was struggling with the Salesforce side of things, that yeah. context, because things can be so verbose in terms of naming and, and SQL statements and all that kind of stuff. It just... the the tooling being able to have that context and help you out. And yeah, especially with um, casing and all that kind of stuff, because it's aware of it, it can just put it in for you. Mm-hmm. I don't have to sit there and type a million underscores on something or mm-hmm. make sure that I match the casing of whoever created it in there. Yeah. You guys can't see this, but John is double computering it today. It's like he's a working. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'll, I'll let me vamp for you here. Let's see. Um, I realized, and John, I don't know if you're working with um, packaging much these days um, and the security scanner and everything. I've still been fiddling with it here and there, trying to get some stuff done. But because um, you inherited the project that I wrote, how's that going? Uh, I feel like you don't want to know. <laughs> I haven't had I haven't had enough time to mess with this. Okay. Um, I, well, I thought you meant you don't want to know how bad you're. No, you no, no. <laughs> um, but the so the new security scanner I forget what they call it. It's their supposedly fancy pants scanner. I think that, it's just that contains code, everything. Code it's, analyzer or something like that. It's, yeah, it's the new one. But anyway, it actually doesn't support. And this is my note here. I'm actually not sure I remember what it means. But it doesn't support Salesforce's flagship security features. What did I mean by that? Um. Oh, you mean like the new stuff? Oh, maybe? yeah, yeah. The new the user the, modes. Yes, it, it like it doesn't realize what you're doing, and so it flags all that as red. Oh yeah. It also, it's, oh, well, and the, the previous, I don't know if the new one handles this better. What but if you have a big code base? And it's like, that's unmanageable for that, for the security scanner just to be 
the flagship security scanner doesn't have support for flagship Salesforce security features. Yeah. My whole code base is lit up red. Yeah. Even though I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah. And imagine me explaining to the level one security review tech that, no, <laughs> these aren't a problem. <laughs> Just, yeah. I, you know, they're going to want to immediately set up a go to meeting so that I, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So you can, you can talk to them about God. it. And- They'd be like, that's, that's not, uh, where, where'd, you, where'd so, that feature come from? Yeah, so I kind of got a little discouraged by all that. And it I'll, is I'll discouraging it, when you're, you're doing your best and you're, you're trying to follow best practices and you get these uh, analyzers <laughs> that just flag everything and only to find out that, oh, it's because the, the static analyzer doesn't drill into, you know, methods or something. And so if, if you don't like do this certain call within the same method that you do the query, it doesn't recognize it or something like that. You know, it's just... I also had another note here. I, you could tell I was in a bad mood. This is this has to be at least a couple of months ago I wrote this, but the DFA scanner, which is which is the I forget what that stands for, but it's the one that actually follows all your code paths. It's not. Mm. It's more than just like again pattern matching and stuff. It's actually um, actually analyzing uh, yeah. static analyzer, I guess. Yeah. Um, but my note is, it's the most inefficient piece of software in the world. There's no way that that thing gets factored into Salesforce's net zero status. Mm. Because first of all, you have to, I had to bump my RAM, I had to give it, I think, more than eight gigs of RAM for it to run on a not big, that's not a big code base. That's not that much Apex. Yeah. And, and, it, and it still takes forever and it requires all, you know, a ton of RAM. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> this is, I think that's just, it's this, pro- is, it's- this is, this is literally a hundred times, a hundred thousand times less efficient than all my other so- programming tools from other ecosystems yeah I, I gotta, <laughs> now maybe it's proof of concept stage i don't know i haven't really followed it that much you know i don't know i'm sure they're gonna try to make it better but boy that thing is whoo hey uh do they back off from retiring all these api versions like up to like 30 something i, I had that minus so. but i thought i saw they 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 updated hang on what updated um, as of summer 22, well, oh, this is old. They were going to, they were going to, de- uh, de- remove, uh, up to version 30. What's the update? Uh, where'd it go? These, leg- these Salesforce platform API legacy versions are deprecated and no longer supported. What does no longer supported mean? I mean, are they still out there and working at, you know, at, should, at your own risk? Or yeah, like- they should be. They should all still be there and workable. It's just they're not going to support it. So uh, if you come across an issue, probably the first thing they'll ask is, you know, upgrade to the latest version of the API and, and then try it again. Maybe well, this is what's updated. Customers continue using these until summer 25 release, until that's when they'll be retired. Mm-hmm. I like this. The REST API will turn a 410 gone. <laughs> 410 gone 410 gone that's the http status oh yeah I, got, I gotta hold on i, I gotta make that switch because you're saying apis but i'm thinking the api version but you're talking about salesforce rest apis the rest just, api the yeah. soap api and the bulk api yeah yeah Wait, and this is weird so the rest api will turn a return a 410 gone now oh. let's see http 410 because i don't know what that one's don't even means oh it's literally gone is the official status yeah okay the 
SOAP API will return a 500 hmm. unsupported API version. Yeah, well, probably just five, 500 is a server error. Yeah. That's not a server error. That's a wrong code. And the bulky API will turn, return 400 invalid version. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's got to be reasons for that. Which, which actually is better than the 500 because the 400, that's, that's again, that's a client problem. Like it's a, it's 400 bad requests. It's like a, but you made a bad request. So that, that would make more sense. But 410 gone, they should have a buy bitch. Bye. Bye. Do, you, do you feel old <laughs> saying the word soap or even saying that you're interacting with the soap API? No, because I don't say that because I don't interact with the SOAP I'm just API. Saying. I haven't used the SOAP API in so long. It's just to me, it's such a <clears> legacy <throat> thing. But I, I mean, that's what we started with. That we started. It's with still the... it's still better at some things. I think. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um. The, yeah. There's some. So you know, it, w- the whole world we went through. We over we we overcorrected from SOAP on REST. REST was way too idealistic. The Restafarians got mm-hmm. way too autistic on everything, and everything had to be perfectly... Did you read Roy Fielding's yeah. dissertation? Because you're wrong, bro. It's I, like so I much of that. Can't get the hang of what's a patch and what's a put and what's a... I mean, I got get. Uh, those are... Those are... But... Those are... Well, yeah, just the those implementation are, of the APIs. You never know who's going to use what. You know, it's, it's either a, a get or a put. Yeah. But then you've got people who are using patches for updates and and it's just like well yeah that makes sense but well put is a complete replacement of the resource patches you're yeah, updating know. you're updating in place kind of I know, there, there's a there's a pretty clean semantic difference there i think i'm just i'm using that as an as a quick example it doesn't represent well what could be fair is people uh, services completely misinterpret those and misimplement those that's the, my point yeah is that or, or then you got the Salesforce platform, sorry to interrupt, Apex, which, <laughs> am I wrong in saying it still doesn't either support patch or put? I can't remember which one. Or did they finally add that? Um, like one of the major HTTP verbs you couldn't do. I forget I which one it was. I think it's patch. <laughs> you, still, you still can't do it. Um, sorry. <laughs> Hang on. Um, but that, that's what I was trying to say is that, you know, you have these mechanisms that, that were... Established. You can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> yeah, this mechanisms are established in, in the protocol, but their interpretation across all these different, you know, implementers of APIs has kind of yeah. muddied the water. Um, and I think that's because we're trying to shoehorn these APIs into the HD into the HTTP spec. And so we're trying to say, well, we're trying to use these verbs. And they kind of make sense, but they kind of don't. It's kind of weird. They've layered enough stuff and add enough stuff to HTTP that overcome a lot of the problems, um, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, media streaming, um, yeah. you know, what do they call the continuations thing? But like HTTP2 added, you know, it's just making a bunch of stuff, you know, having um, kind of support for things like keeping streams open and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they really, you can, the reason why everyone does everything on HTTP nowadays is because you can now. Yeah. And it's not, too painful and in fact it's we've we've the balance is tipped it's like less painful to use http for all this stuff than all that ws death star bullshit that we had to deal with before well it's only less painful because there's it's been around enough and we've used it enough um that's the least painful option I mean, yeah yeah it's not a new protocol to learn or a new protocol that has to spread and gain dominance in order to for it to be usable yeah. I mean, if you were to say, I hate REST, I hate SOAP, I want to come out with a new protocol, what would that be? And what would it look like? 
That's and then, <laughs> and then let's say that you accomplish that and you create it. Now, how are you going to get people to use it? Yeah. Well, if you say you hate HTTP, I mean, you better at least be willing to tumble over HTTP because the world is not switching from HTTP. That's what security is built around. That's what firewalls are and everything is built with. But, you know, so we're stuck with it. We, oh, for sure. <laughs> I don't mind HTTP. I, th- I think it makes logically a lot of sense. And when it's when people implement protocols and services over it correctly, I think it's it's quite nice. I mean, there's so much to, the, you know. We have the tooling around it. You know, you've got your um, everything from um, web proc, you know, debugging proxies and um, you know what do people use? I use Paw, but um, what's um, what does everyone use uh, for API test? Oh, uh, uh, Postman. Postman. I mean, there's like there's just so much tooling around HTTP that um, you say Postman, I say Postman. Postman. Yeah. Postman. Postman. The Postman has delivered my po- my mail. Do you say Postman? postman. Hmm, I say Postman. Yeah. Postman. I watch a lot of British shows. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Postman. Postman. Uh, wow, we're not making it down my list very far. My list sucks, though, so go ahead and... Well, I was going to say, well, we can we can talk about this, because we actually got a community topic, uh, Anonymous, and the Anonymous says, uh, can you guys please go into how annoying it is to see everything branded at branded to add GPT? I feel like I'm the only one talking sense here. No, no, I mean, we're going to have report GPT and uh, Einstein Apex GPT. GPT. We Einstein have, G- well, no, we have, we'll service, have Google GPT. We have service, what do they announce this week? bunch of gpt stuff like services just with they're taking mm-hmm. their existing products and just adding the word gpt to it yeah and also i mean what i don't understand about that is that's they're leaking implementation details like what happens when g when you know the gpt kind of model and tooling is not the best thing and they want to switch it now they have to rebrand their product away from gpt well, that's salesforce's specialty what are you talking about plus i mean it just it it reminds me of something from like the the car okay I, yeah i drive a sweet gto or like it you know like these cars with these like little mm-hmm. acronyms after them or whatever yeah um except it's gpt which is just kind of nerdy and half the world says gtp no one can say it right you know <laughs> I, and then also everyone and their mom is branding their thing something gpt so you're making yeah. your products just get lost in a sea of things branded gpt that's pretty confusing to consumers and it is, but it's the, it's the buzzword. It's what it's what they're using to no, gain headlines. It is. The, it doesn't you're right. Have you're to right. True. And it's the equivalent of <clears throat> we did this just a few years ago when all you had to do was put blockchain somewhere. Was it blockchain? Yeah. Remember was the remember was it was that Arizona tea, iced tea company added like blockchain or Chick Fil A or somebody did. Yeah. They added GP or blockchain to their. I don't remember what it and, was. And, but and I stock, remember that. No stock prices would immediately go up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily have to be true. I mean, yeah, if you if you're not talking about GPT every day as a as a as a PR department mm-hmm. in a company, then um, yeah, you're going to look like you're not with it. Yeah. <clears throat> so yes, it's annoying. It's very annoying. But this is the world we live in. But it is an interesting topic in in terms of its usage, the 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 legality of, of these tools in terms of you know how it's being trained and the, and the information that it produces and company ip and and what what's for use and what isn't um and then also with universities you know that there's some some reverse scanners now that can uh with some degree of accuracy determine how much of a of a, a paper was written by a bot um so there, there's <laughs> it's affecting us in a lot of different ways including our education system can we rename our podcast to good day sir gpt oh we should 
GDS GPT. How about, and what would that stand for? G- a good podcast today. We're going to have a GPT, John. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good day, sir. Good podcast today. I mean, I don't know. Oh, you're talking about getting rid of GDS. Oh, maybe so. I'll just do GPT. GPT. Yeah. No, GDS GPT. That's what I said. <laughs> then we'll have to rebrand it next next month when GPT is not a thing anymore because everyone's tired of hearing about it. Oh, GPT is going to, it's going to, it's not going to age well. I guess what I'm trying to say here. And I've been saying this, the, as soon as the corporate America gets a, their handle on these buzzwords and the media who, who, who also want to get clicks are also touting things with G, with whatever buzzword is today, that word's going to lose its meaning. And they're going to have to come up with a new name to say the same thing. Yeah. It's a sad state of it's cat and mouse of our modern access to information. Yeah. Well, speaking of, I guess, AI stuff and Salesforce, <clears throat> do you know anything about this Salesforce and Google? And, you know, I, I feel like every couple of years, it's every two or three years, Salesforce and Google announce some big partnership. And it's like, oh, that'll be great. Sounds good. I, I, you know, you can't, I'm not sh- quite sure what, what they're doing here, what this is going to mean, because you never get any details. But you're like, mm-hmm. that sounds great. I can, I'm looking forward to it. And then like three years later, you're like, hey, whatever happened to that? Yeah. <laughs> but no, we have a new one. Uh, we're going we're gonna to leverage a data and AI in a new strategic partnership. Mm. Uh, so announced this morning, whenever that was, this was a couple of days ago. Uh, the partnership will allow companies to use their data. So I think allow customer companies like... Mm-hmm. To use their data with custom machine learning models to anticipate their customers' needs, uh, according to execs from Google and Salesforce. This partnership spans products and services, including BigQuery, which is interesting because that, well, BigQuery is basically a a giant data warehouse, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Salesforce's data cloud and Vertex AI, which is Google's fully managed AI platform. So I guess, I mean, I guess Salesforce is using those things behind the scenes, right? But I don't think they're going to expose us to Vertex AI and BigQuery. Right. Here's, here's the money quote from David Schmeyer, who's the chief product officer in Salesforce. Some people say he's rumored to be the, uh, the next person who won't actually become CEO of Salesforce. <laughs> the, the next co-CEO. Here's this quote. Oh, I, wish, I, I don't want to do a, I don't want to do a disrespectful voice. I was going to do, but no, I'm just going to read it straight. This really allows us to democratize AI so that customers get choice on which AI they want to use. Oh my God. <laughs> you lost me at democratize. I know. Yes. That was the plan. <laughs> Um, this this move makes sense for Salesforce on its journey to reposition itself as a data company. I thought they were a customer company. They were a stakeholder Gosh, company. It. Excuse me. Oh. Until the stakeholder thing fell apart because oh, yeah. they laid off a bunch of people. <laughs> um, yeah, they've included they've in, uh, Einstein GPT, chat, Slack GPT. This is on the heels of all that stuff. Uh, Salesforce is investing in the broader generative AI ecosystem, no doubt hoping to sniff out the next hit because I feel like they've been late. They've I don't you know. think they're late. Oh, do you don't think you don't think it, you think it's been there? So Salesforce has had an internal AI department for machine learning for for mm-hmm. years and years and years. Do you think it was their plan to have to at last minute switch horses to the GPT? I think it's all virtual, anyways. By I think virtual, do you are, mean bullshit? 
Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking this is all just. That's the a same good thing. word. That's a good word for bullshit. What? I like that. Virtual. Virtual. <laughs> I'm tired of your virtual nonsense, John. <laughs> Virtualness. <laughs> yeah. don't, see, don't be such a virtualer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue, does it? It doesn't. No. <laughs> we, need, we need to workshop this one a little bit. We do. Anyway, what were you saying? About? I was going to say, I mean, this is just another rebranding. I mean, all these companies, there's no way. That when in within the six month time frame that GPT took off, that they have these products ready and they can that they can slap GPT on them. This is a rebranding of existing technology, just like Einstein was on their their machine learning stuff and Wave and everything else. I mean, all these rebrandings that they did on existing technology. It's just yeah. they're just sticking GPT on it, and then and and if enough people buy into it, then they'll figure out how to make it GPT. I'm just, I'm sticking with the Salesforce one platform, John. Yeah. What happened to that? No, no. It's because it's not one platform anymore. Um, Salesforce Ventures is launching a, or had just has launched a few months ago, a $250 million fund aimed at what it calls responsible generative AI. Responsible how? Well, here's that, that actually, this reminds me, you know, they say that the, uh, the, all these, uh, large language models and developing all these models requires like far they're spending far more uh, energy than even like all the bitcoin mining that's ever been done in the world added up mm. all the crypto added up way more than that all the things the salesforce count this into their net zero formula no because it's google's responsibility yeah, they're 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 greenwashing it yeah <clears throat> i just love how how all this stuff goes out the window when they get a new new shiny that they want to implement yeah, maybe they maybe they've um, they they got some way to do it more efficiently. I have heard that it's it, it does. I don't know if it's hardware advancements or if they're software advancements that, but they are dramatically reducing the amount of energy it takes to build these models. It's got to be hardware. Yeah, that's, but, that's where you're going to find your savings is in hardware. Like I saw this example, it would have cost you fifty million in hardware to build a certain. I forget which model it was it was, and now you can do it for fifty thousand, something like that. Yeah. It's going to be these these system on a chip type deals where the the the, the actual AI portion of it will be its own chip hmm. and handling its own processing, have its own memory, and have its own all of that kind of stuff. So it's not chips with AI. Doesn't sound very tasty. <laughs> AI generated chips. Sorry, that was a bad dad joke. Oh, and then and then AI will be good enough to design its own chips for itself, and then you know then you, then you got the singularity, I guess. Uh, let's see. But yeah, I'm I'm a proponent that it's probably going to be hardware. I mean, uh, yeah, h- hardware solutions. As for Google, this renewed partnership with Salesforce puts, I'm assuming, Google's big data analytics and AI services front and center, which isn't insignificant, like that double negative, considering Salesforce's customer base of over 150,000 organizations. Anyway, I don't know. The question is, like, does your average organization running Salesforce, I mean, when and how and at what cost do they get to get, you know, not just this thing in particular, but all these things, like, get actually get value from them? I don't know. Yeah, one thing I'm learning just from anecdotally is that, you know, a lot of these companies, they're, they're still trying to make good on their investments. They're just trying to do what they can. There's not a lot of companies out there who are sitting around with free free resources to go, hey, let's... Let's uh, carve out some time to work on this AI stuff and see what we can do. You know, it's especially in this climate. I mean, people are trying to get marketing 
they're putting more effort into marketing and sales to try to, you know, climb out of the lull that happened this year. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, and maybe AI could be part of that strategy, but it's, it's a big lift. I, in my opinion, there's no easy button to it from what I understand, but I could be wrong. If there's an easy button out there that makes it all easy, you just press a button and all your marketing and sales uh, is handled. Great. But I, I think most companies right now are focused on getting, getting money in the door. Yeah. Not spending money. <clears throat> well, there's just, just a small update on Keith Block. Remember him? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, he has launched a, an enterprise software investment firm with like three other guys. Oh, cool. Yep. He got bored. <clears throat> I learned a, a fun fact about Slack. Uh, if Slack admins cannot, if you like, you know, you can create, I guess they're private channels in Slack. Mm-hmm. And unless someone adds an admin to one of those channels, the admin can't, has no visibility knowledge of that channel. Really? Yeah. Unless you pay for like the premium tier of Slack professional enterprise business level. Oh yeah. Did not know that. It almost seems like a little bit of a extortion. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I guess the way to avoid that is to not let people create their own channels. Yeah, I guess you could do that. That seems very anti um, self guided teams type of thing, though. Yeah. Um. But you kind of were talking about this a minute ago, like you have an, investing and innovating. And <clears throat> it's interesting we're seeing Salesforce outsource more of this. So they're outsourcing all their, well, not a lot. I mean, not maybe not all, but certainly a ton of their generative stuff to open AI. I think Anthropic as well. I've seen some mention of that. Um, and now they're doing this big partnership with Google, which is basically them just outsourcing a lot of that to Google. Mm-hmm. And there was a, an article out, yeah, I don't know if you saw this, about Brett Taylor's failed play to become the CEO at Salesforce. Yeah, I saw that, but it seemed odd to me because it, it's a resurface of information that was already published previously. I didn't, I didn't know this. I mean, there's just a couple of quotes here. So one is, uh, for, so this, yeah, the a former executive at Salesforce um, said that Taylor made, his, made an abrupt play to become the CEO, and it was a showdown. Uh, where, and Benioff apparently said that Taylor was not ready. But what I what I wanted to mention, I thought it was in here somewhere. He was dis, he knew this was this was when the the um, these activist investors were really putting a lot of pressure on, mm-hmm. and the plan was to do massive cutting and massive layoffs. Mm-hmm. And Brett didn't really support that because he knew innovation was going to suffer. Right. Uh, let's see. It was when Taylor made moves with an eye toward displacing Benioff as leader of the firm that things seemed to fall apart. One can only speculate about Benioff's reluctance to re- relinquish control. Was that, what was that? The next door? Mm-hmm. Wow. As discussions about his succession plan. Okay, that's all I was looking for. Uh, somewhere in here talked about that. Um, oh, yeah. Activist investors were pushing Salesforce to talk significant cost-cutting measures, which didn't sit well with Taylor. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he knew there, that would mean massive layoffs and innovation would suffer. Yeah, I, mean, I, think way, I, I think, I mean, you know, Salesforce is that they, they package up software and technologies, whether it's a bunch of open source stuff or this other commercial stuff they're doing now and making it consumable for your average organization. And they're a big sales and marketing company and they're good at all these things. Sure. But they've also spent the last decade of their growth trend through acquisitions. And I, I think the way I took that article or what I took that snippet from it is that Brett wanted to take Salesforce back to innovating, building new things, not acquiring yeah, new things. Yeah, yeah, And I just, I think it's a, uh, you know, because if you look at what, uh, let's, let's assume that it is Salesforce's kind of more, they've made a strategic shift to outsource more of that um, and focus on doing what they do best. Is that, is that a, is that a strength or is that a sign of weakness or in, in failure? It's a strength. I, I kind of, I'm kind of leaning towards that. And also almost it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sign of uh, organizational maturity. Yeah, at Salesforce. That's exactly what I was going to okay. say. It's a sign of maturity for Salesforce. And and it's kind of been my criticism of Salesforce is they spent so much time in the adolescence of we're growing, we're growing, we're growing. Here's a new announcement. Here's a new announcement. But it's like, you, you guys need to get profitable. You need to focus on profit or, you know, it's just, it's going to end badly. And I think we saw a hint of it ending badly, but fortunately they were able to make those hard cuts, make those hard decisions um, and show that they can be profitable if they focus on it. Yeah. And they're boy, man, the, the screws have turned on profitability. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like that was just such a sudden, sudden shift. It was, um, it didn't have to be, but it, it it's how it played uh, out. They, 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 they flew so close to the sun for so long and it, yeah. it became, yeah. you know, you're, if you don't stop this, your wings are going to burn off. <laughs> well, and I, th- I think a lot of that, and, and it's going to sound mean to say, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but I think a lot of that was ego. I think Benioff, Benioff's ego around the company. Well, around, Benioff doesn't have an ego. John. Around the, what are you this whole about? stakeholder capitalism thing. I think it prevented them from making that transition that they've needed to make for a long time. Maybe so. Yeah, I, I'm, I almost see it as a sign of maturity because at the end of the day, uh, I don't think customers care whether you know where this tech you know whether it was an in-house built thing or they bought it from someone else or they're or they're licensing it from someone else i don't think people really care they care about the value they're getting so yeah. you know then they're, they're able to, to do the things they need to do in their business sure yeah i think that's fair i mean i think they care about the quality of it i think they care about the how well it integrates with everything else in the platform seeing i mean if you buy a sales cloud and you buy service cloud, you expect them to interact with each other seamlessly from Salesforce. You would, you um, would, you would expect that. That's yeah. what, the, I mean, I think that's what they care about more. And that's kind of where, you know, if you remember way back when they first started doing acquisitions, my fear was that um, up to that point, Salesforce, everything they put out was homegrown. It was home built. It worked together seamlessly. It was the platform. But and then they, as they started buying tools like, Pardot and Marketo and or was it Marketo or what was that other? No, uh, Marketing. Oh, Marketing Exact Cloud. Target. Exact Target. Yeah. Um, all these all these big acquisitions where they were never going to integrate those. They were never going to make those part of the platform. They were just going to exist as they were. That we were going to start seeing these mm-hmm. kind of um, cracks in the platform where integration is not seamless, um, where the complexity of having these systems exist on their own causes issues either with performance 
or um, data integrity, um, or even just availability. You know, one system goes down, you're kind of you're kind of screwed on the other one, type thing. Yep. So it's to me, it's always kind of been a negative. I mean, I understand why they did it, and of course they're billionaires, and I'm not, but. I've always wanted Salesforce to be a platform that was entirely built on its own. You know, the marketing tools were on the platform. The, the CPQ was on the platform. The education was on the platform. The nonprofit was on the platform. What are, you, are you describing like your fantasy? I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking about okay. it all being core. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about all of these things, all of these industry-specific <clears throat> tools being core. Well, there, I will say there are some big initiatives to bring more things in the core. And I hope that's true. Um, Cause I I mean, this, this, this growth by acquisition is a legacy thing. That's Oracle. That's Microsoft. That's Google. That's all of these companies that, that grew by acquisition. But what did they end up with a portfolio of tools that are difficult to, to get to talk to each other. Hard to manage. Yeah. And you know, that uh, my vision for Salesforce was always been, you know, core products. It was this true one-stop shop where you didn't have to worry about that. You know, you had your central place to go, you had your central place to manage it, and the tooling just worked. Yeah. You know, that was my hope. Yeah. Well, we live in a complicated world. We do. It's job security. (laughs) They make all this shit difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're about an hour. I did have one thing that I, just a couple things, actually, that I realized pieced together really nicely. Or actually, really three things. Um, There was a Reddit post in the Salesforce subreddit that and I don't even know if I read through this. I just like the title. The titles. I don't think people should have Salesforce in their title. <laughs> people should have Salesforce in their title? No, he said this person says, I don't think people should have Salesforce in their title. Oh. Like Salesforce developer or whatever. Yeah, but sometimes that's your official company title. It is. Yeah. And I I'm not I don't think the person making the point that you should you know, quit over the title that your company's giving you, but like he just, it is the idea of Salesforce being in town. But I get, I get the point. Yeah. Uh, well, a better point was, and I think, um, was it Robert Sozman? I don't know how to say his name. Um, I thought he tweeted this. This is maybe, this is a few weeks ago. Um, or maybe if somebody else, I don't know. I can't remember who this was, but they were talking about how, um, someone mentioned that the Salesforce, I don't know. Maybe this is me, and I was commenting on someone else's. But I was like, they were talking about certification. This business analyst one, mm-hmm. and they were talking about a Salesforce business analyst. And I'm like, what? No, a business analyst is a business analyst. There's no such thing as a Salesforce business analyst. <laughs> and in fact, I don't even know. You know, Salesforce has a business analyst certification now, and I wonder, mm-hmm. does it? Is it all about Salesforce, you know, proprietary technologies, or is it about business analysis stuff? What, I don't even, I actually don't know. I'm just, but I, I, I kind of reject the notion of a Salesforce business analyst. No, no. You can be a Salesforce admin. That's fine. You can be a Salesforce developer. Okay. I think it comes from just how but professional business, services in general has kind of eroded some of these terms. It'd be like saying I'm a Salesforce accountant. But no, no, you're an accountant. <laughs> you might work at Salesforce or your company might run Salesforce, but you're an accountant. No, I think it goes, goes down to professional services. You have, you have companies who have, have these roles, but they specialize in the product. And so everything they think about from, the, from an analysis perspective ties back well, to the product. that makes them a terrible business analyst then. It makes them a Salesforce analyst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean for it to come yeah. out like that, but it did. <laughs> so, you know, John, the truth always wants to come it out. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> 
I mean, it, it happens. I mean, we're all trying to specialize. These tools get big. They get complicated. Even within these larger companies, there's specialties. There's SAP engineers. There's Salesforce engineers. There's React engineers. It's just people specialize, so let me, and their titles reflect that. This is a great segue into my third, the, my, the third part of this, which is someone else posted this. This is on Twitter. Salesforce crashes and burns tomorrow. Would you be able to find a job in 60 days? No. No. Well, if you were a Salesforce business analyst or a Salesforce developer, or, or you're a Salesforce accountant, and you just, the only way you knew how to think was in the context of Salesforce, you know, custom objects and page layouts, then yeah, you're... <laughs> it, it would require you to reframe your experience. Um, right now, it's it's very advantageous, or at least right now, not right now, but in general, it's advantageous to put Salesforce on it. It's, it's advantageous to market yourself as a Salesforce-focused individual. Um, but should that not happen, then, yeah, you chop that part off and you go, I'm an engineer, or I'm a developer, I'm an analyst. That's what you fall back to. Yeah. Because I can tell you, a Salesforce developer probably gets played more than a developer. Gets paid more? Probably. It, it, it just depends on the space. That's what I mean. In terms of space or demand yeah. and things like that, historically, I mean, that might have changed recently, but uh, it's just my own experience. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, that I've always said I, I'm at where I'm at because that's where the money is right now. You know, that's, and I've built a lot of experience in that area, so it's it's natural for me to kind of seek that out. Well, yeah, you, you, the, the, tr- that's part of it. I also feel like, you know, the detractor, you have never escaped the tractor beam of, of Salesforce. Right. Yeah. It's not that you can't do other things. It's just that it keeps pulling you back in, man. Well, there's a comfort <laughs> level with it too. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I know it and I, I, I can be effective with it. You know, when you're applying for a senior role, people expect you to be able to hit the ground running to, yeah. to, to know what you're doing. You know, they're yeah. not, they're not there to, t- to teach you the idiosyncrasies of some language that even though, yeah, you're a developer, but you don't know this language, you know, yeah, you can come in as a developer, but not as a senior developer. Yeah. You know, you're not going to come in as a senior react developer if you've never done react before. Right. You might know JavaScript and you might know other and, libraries, but if you are not even done react, you're not going to come in as a senior react developer. Yeah. And I've come from more of the school of like a senior engineer is a senior engineer. If you know, they've, don't been work you know if they're if you have someone who's like a senior front end engineer and like almost all their experience has been in view and they're great and i need i need a senior front end engineer but we do mainly react i'll I'll take that person every day of the week and some companies can take that perspective and others can't others are so focused on the specialty that they can't see past that because they don't know anything else because they're a Salesforce business analyst. Right. I mean, they're checking your, your, your trailhead. They're checking your certification or even checking... worse, John, they're a Salesforce recruiter. That's a, that's a title. Yeah, it is. I'm a Salesforce recruiter. <laughs> Salesforce one word, not Salesforce two words. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's how, yeah. That's how you know if they know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, John. Well, this has been fun. We should, uh, we should, we should do it. Again we should sometime. do a podcast together. Oh yeah, we do. I forgot. I'm surprised I remembered how to push the right buttons. We'll see if we can actually get this episode out the door. Yeah, I got to figure out how to post it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, dear listeners, thank you for finding this podcast again and listening to uh, to it, to us ramble. We, ha- we have, um, for those who are new, if there's anyone that still joins this place new, uh, we do have a, a Slack organization. What are they called? Group? 
and it has channels. It's not a Slack channel because the thing has channels. But anyway, it is. Uh, well, you have workspace. to go to our, you have to go to our uh, works. Is that what it is? Workspace. Slack's okay. workspace. All right, workspaces. Um, but you go to good day www.goodtasterpodcast.com and you click on community and you can join there. You can shoot us an email at info at goodnaysirpodcast.com with feedback, questions, sticker requests, uh, content. Yeah. Uh, what do you call them? Community? What do you call those? Community content topics? No, what's your word for those? Community topic? A community topic. Yeah. yeah you can submit community topic candidates. Uh, we also have a jobs channel. And I know the job whole employment world is pretty tumultuous right now. So people should be posting their jobs in our jobs channel, which they do. Um, but also, I, you know, I thought about this earlier. I feel like it's okay for people to also be like, hey, um, I'm looking for a job or I'm looking for a side gig or like, or I know someone who, you know, whatever, like offering from the other, both, both sides of the, sure. Both sides of the coin. Yeah. It just has to be first party. You have to be the one, you know, your company has to be hiring. It can't, you know, it can't be contingency, third party recruiting and that kind of, you know, stuff. Uh, what else? What are those, John? Any other notes? We, do you have any predictions on when we'll record another episode after this one? I'd like to think we'll start getting regular after yeah, this. I hope so. Life is a bit better now. That's good. <laughs> All right, John. I'm ready to push the buttons. Oh, and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. I'm not dead.